Man, praise the Lord. God is good, amen? amen. <clears throat> Tell you what, there's something about gathering in a room with a bunch of other crazy believers who believe God to do crazy things. There's something powerful about that God releases in us, and I'm just, I'm glad to be in a room full of people that believe that. Aren't you? It encourages my faith, and I believe in him. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of John, and uh, we're going to look at a few verses in John chapter 1. I do want to mention, if you are a guest with us this morning, we have a connect card. I think Pastor Naren already did, but I want to say it anyway. Uh, we've got a guest card right in the seat back in front of you. We'd love you to give us a record of your attendance. I promise we won't bother you too much. We won't annoy you. We are not telemarketers. Uh, or... That was kind of funny. <clears throat> I got better ones. Don't worry. Uh, but we would sure love to have a record of your uh, attendance with us this morning. And man, we sure hope that you'll come back uh, and, and see us again and see the things that God is doing. Uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. How many of you knew that? Amen. It's a great day for the church and for the kingdom of God. And we're going to gather and uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus changes everything. Amen. Amen. So I uh, just want to mention that. Please drop that in the offering box or give it to somebody who looks like they know what they're doing. <clears throat> and even if they don't, they'll probably get it to the right people. Don't give it to me because I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, can't set, I can't set my water, leave my, never mind, doesn't matter. John chapter one. How many of you, when you were a, when you were a child or probably more likely a teenager, had that friend that was mischievous? Did I say that right, mischievous? I mean, this is like the friend that, uh, I had one when I was a kid, his name was Clayton, and he was a, uh, a pastor's kid at my church. My grandfather was the lead pastor, and my, my friend Clayton, his dad was like the associate pastor. And uh, he, I was a pretty good kid. I mean, you may not believe that, but I was a pretty good kid, and I listened to my mom once in a while, and uh, I tried to do the right thing, you know, I tried to be smart and whatever. Well, when Clayton would come over, we would do things like this. We would see if we could hold a firecracker in our hand and set it off. And like in my head, I went, I don't think that's a good idea. And he was the friend who was like, oh no, it's going to be awesome, right? <laughs> and so one day, uh, Clayton gets this bright idea that we should go out, my, we we burned trash. I'm redneck enough that we burn trash, okay? If you burn trash, you know. You're with me, baby. Right on, right on. So, so we had this area where we burned trash, and, and uh, my, my dad would always, you know, I was like seven or eight or something, so they didn't let me play with matches or anything, except when Clayton was over. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> and uh, one day, he got this idea, like, we should go out to the, uh, to the burn pile, and we should go set a trap for your dad. And I go, okay. <laughs> and you know, it, it's kind of stupid because he was going to go home. Who's going to take the brunt of it? But he was that friend that I just, like, I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't say no to, right? How many of you had a friend like that? So we go out to the burn, to the burn pile and we dig a hole, I don't know, probably two feet deep. It was right over the septic tank. So it fills with water and we think we strike oil. It's like, man, this oil smells funny, but. And so, so we dig this two foot, 
two foot deep hole and, and we put some real thin, we, we'd watch Swiss Family Robinsons when they, you know, like when they dig the hole and they catch the tiger, you know? <laughs> Kids, there's a movie. <laughs> oh. Actually, it was a book before, anyway. So, so we get these real small sticks and we put them over the hole and we cover it with leaves and like we're clever, right? So Clayton goes home. I forget completely about this trap we set. And you know, this is when I was young. So I, I went to bed at eight or eight thirty. So I'm laying in bed. I had just went to bed and my dad decides I'm going to go burn the trash. So he goes out. I completely forgot about this trap we set. So he goes out there, and I mean, he falls. He's lucky he didn't break his ankle, right? He falls in the hole. He gets all wet with sewage water and all this stuff. And, and I'm, I'm in my bedroom, and so he's outside, and I, I'll, this is all I hear. Where's that kid? That's the fastest I've ever went to sleep in my life. I had a friend like that. How many of you had a friend like that? How many of you were that friend? Okay, now we know, now we know. It's good to have friends in our lives. It's good to have people who love us. And I think when we look at this story in John chapter one, we find uh, just some really interesting and powerful truths about what it's like to come to Jesus. And then at the end of this passage, we're gonna see what it's like to bring others to Jesus, to bring people to Jesus. A good friend brings people, brings friends to Jesus. And we're going to see that this morning in John chapter one. So let me set it up for you. So Jesus has just come on the scene. The first part of chapter one, you know, John is telling us all about how Jesus is God and how he's man, how he's been there from the beginning, you know, all these things. And then we get to the point where he starts the narrative. He starts the story and he starts with John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, he tells a little bit about his ministry and whatever. And then we get to uh, verse, verse 35, I think I can't own my glass. Verse 35 and uh, we, we got John, and he's, he's just sort of walking, you know, because that's what John did. John was a weirdo, okay? John was a weirdo, a strange cat. And he's walking, but he, but he spoke so many things that were true and, and, and powerful that people followed him. So he had all these disciples who followed John the Baptist. And so John's walking, and, you know, he's talking, and he's teaching. If you've ever seen The Chosen, just picture me in robes and things. And so he's walking, and he's talking, he's telling his disciples. And he sees Jesus across the river. <clears throat> and he turns to his guys, and he's like, hey, guys, that guy over there, that's the Lamb of God who takes the, away the sin of the world. And that's all he says. <laughs> and he turns around and keeps walking. Well, two disciples get a hold of that, and they're like, what did he just say? Because you realize, at this point of history, all of Israel was looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for their Savior to come and totally get rid of the, in their mind, get rid of the Romans and establish the kingdom of David and all these great prophecies in the Old Testament. And they were looking for that guy. So, so when John sees Jesus and he says, that's the guy. I've already told you that I'm not the guy. I've already told you it's not me. But that's the guy that I was talking about. So these two disciples decide they're going to go and they're going to check this guy out. So look, it begins in this story with what I'm going to call a revelation of Christ, okay? A revelation of Christ. When there's a moment in time where John says, okay, I, I, I know I say a lot of good things. And by the way, John is such a, a, an important and powerful figure for us because he could have been the Messiah. If he had wanted to be, you know, the great leader of Israel, he could have done it. 
He had the following, he had the prestige, he had all the religious people mad at him just like Jesus did. He, he was the guy, and if he had wanted to do it, he could have done it. But he was so uh, un, uh, understanding or so sure of who he was. He knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. And so when he sees Jesus, he says, look, that's the Lamb of God. That's the guy that you want to talk to. He's the one who will take away the sin of the world. So these two disciples have this, uh, this moment where they have a revelation of Jesus. Oh, my word, that's the guy? Are you serious? John, you're telling us to stop following you and to look to that guy and to go and begin to follow him? And here's what I want to say to us. Every one of us, if you're a believer, if you've come into a relationship with Christ and you, you know, you've done the thing, you've had a, relation, a revelation of Jesus. Somebody in your life said to you, look, this is the guy you're looking for. This is the one who solves your issues and, 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 and saves your soul and deals with your life. This is the guy. I don't know who that was for you. I don't know in your life who that person was. For me, it was, uh, there's been many in my life, but one of them was my grandfather. My grandfather uh, was my, the pastor of my, the church I grew up in, and, and over and over, I'll tell you, when I was a little kid, like I'm talking four or five years old, we had Sunday night church. How many of you remember Sunday night church? We had Sunday night church, and um, not youth group, not young adult. We were in the room <laughs> with my cars, right, and my trucks, and I would play, and they would do stuff, and, and you know they'd have their church service. And every Sunday night, at the end of the service, my grandfather would come back to the, I was in the back row, and he'd come back, and, uh, and for good reason, if you knew me when I was a kid, there's a reason I was in the back row, okay? Uh, but he would come and get me, and he would grab my hand, and we'd walk around the altar a little bit, and he'd pray, you know, he had people praying around the altar, because that was when we knew how to pray and how to tarry. We knew how to wait on the Lord. We don't know how to do that anymore overall. We need to learn how again. Can I just say that to you? We need to figure out how to do that again. And so anyway, he, we would walk along the altar, and then eventually he would decide it's time for Jeff to get saved. <clears throat> and so he would bring me on the platform, and it was when we had pews on the platform for the pastors, and we'd go to the smallest pew. It was like, like one, one seat big, and, and uh, we would kneel there, and I would give my heart to Jesus every Sunday night. I look back now and I'm like, how much sin did he think I had, you know? <laughs> Digging holes for my dad. But anyway, so we could say, and, and through the years as I grew up and, and uh, you know, became a, a, a teenager, a preteen, a, a teenager, and he was just influential in my life. And he'd always point me to Jesus to the moment he died. He died a year ago, May. And he would always say to me, Jeff, how's your devotional life? Jeff, are you praying? Are you seeking God? Son, I believe in you. Man, I, I love you. I know God has a plan. He'd say things like that to me, but he'd always point me to Jesus. He'd always say, don't get too enamored with your success. Don't get too impressed with yourself. And I'd be like, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but I got nothing. <laughs> and he'd say, he'd say things like that. He'd say, always be impressed with Jesus. Always be impressed with what Jesus has done in your life. So look, there's always somebody in our lives who points us to Jesus. How many of you can remember the person in your life or the persons in your life who did that for you? 
That when you were at your lowest, when you had, had no idea what was happening, when you were broken, when you were struggling, when you didn't know where to turn, somebody in your life said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's had that person in their life, and we move on with our life, and, and sometimes I think we don't go back and really appreciate them, but I, I, I believe that God ha, does that for every person. There's always somebody in our lives, and I think that even in this room right now, there are probably some of you who still have that person in your life right now pointing you to Jesus, telling you to look at the Lamb of God. It's a great ministry leader in our church. It's a great youth pastor or young adult leader, or it's a parent, or it's a grandparent, or it's just somebody that loved you enough to point you to Christ. Aren't you glad for that? And that's what John did here for his two disciples. He gave them a revelation of Christ. So here's, here's, here's the other thing I want to say about the revelation of Christ. Oftentimes in our lives, Jesus reveals himself through crisis, Right? When everything's falling apart in our life, when we're not sure what's going on and the whole world seems like it's a mess, that's often when Jesus shows up the most powerful and the most poignant. And if you've not lived enough life yet to get to that crisis moment, just wait, it's coming. Why? Because it's in the crisis moments of our life that Jesus does his greatest work inside of us. In fact, I wanna say it to you this way. Nobody comes to Jesus because they love him. How many of you got saved because you just loved Jesus so much? He was just so important to you, and so one day you decided, you know what? I love him so much, I might as well get saved. No, most people get saved because they're so broken and so lost and so at the bottom, they have nowhere to go and nowhere to turn except to Jesus. Now, over time, they love him, and they fall in love with him, and they realize the things that he does in our life, but we don't come to him because we love him. We come because we need him. Here's what I want to say to you. There are people in your life. There are people in the world. There are people you rub shoulders with every day that you live, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you're at, everywhere you go. There are people who are at their lowest. Oh, they put on the uh, Western American face, and everything looks nice on the outside, but deep inside, they're broken, and they're hurting, and they're lost, and they have nowhere to turn. And they need somebody in their life to step up and say, look, it's the Lamb of God. Look, it's the Lamb of God. Look, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He's exactly what you're looking for. That's what John did for his disciples, and it's what God is calling us to do for others. A couple of questions for you to rhetorically answer to yourself. Where right now is Jesus revealing himself to you? Where is Christ showing up in your life? Who is the person or the people in your life that are pointing you to Jesus? Or are you still running around with those knotheads who want you to dig holes for your dead? Or have you found that group? Have you found that, that place to belong, that identity of people, full of people who are pointing you to Christ because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? So we need that in our life and we need to do it for others. I love this part of the story, verse 37. When the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So they almost did a U-turn, right? They're following John, everything's good, it's a normal day, he's teaching, he's making religious people mad. Oh, look, there's the Lamb of God. Okay, well, John, we'll see you later because we're gonna go over here. I mean, it's kind of a crazy moment for them that they made a decision like that, and they go to Jesus, they follow him, and I don't know, like, those scriptures interesting. It's like, 
how close were they following, right? Well, they were close talkers, right? So they're like right on his heels, looking at him, wondering what he's doing. And so finally, Jesus is like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And for this question with Jesus, it was kind of a loaded question for these disciples because Jesus was, I mean, you think about the different groups that were in Israel then. Were they, were they legalists looking for some uh, new teaching or new debate on the law? Were they uh, uh, time servers or people that were just interested in position and prestige where they just want to look if this is the Lamb of God that means that he's going to conquer the kingdom and he's going to establish and when he does I want to be at his right hand like that came out at one point didn't it in their discussions so were they after position with him? Were they zealots looking for a political uh, demagogue or a military commander? Were, were they just men seeking a light path, a, a, a path of the right path to guide them and give them purpose? Or were they legitimate seekers of the Messiah? The problem in that day and age is Jesus didn't, well, I mean, he probably knew because he knows everything, right? But he didn't know. And maybe it was more about them like declaring what they were actually after. And so here's the question for you and me. What do you want from Jesus? You know, in our Western culture, too many of us see Jesus as just this guy who can fix all of our problems and give us everything that we want, and we ignore the suffering that comes with it. I think uh, one, one person has put it this way. We want the crown without the cross. And I think Jesus looks at us today and he asks, asks us the same kind of question. What do, you, what do you want from me? I like how the King James puts it. There's not a lot about the King James that I love, but I like this one. He says, this is the translation, what seeketh ye? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> what seeketh ye? What are, you, what are you looking for in me? And here's the question for us, what are you looking for in Jesus? So I, I, this is me, right? Are you here because it's just your habit? Are you here because you live with some kind of religious guilt from your upbringing that if you don't go to church, somehow you've abandoned all things and you're a pagan now? Are you here just to punch the clock? Are you here because... We've got some great things for your kids and for your teenagers. Are you here because somebody in your college or your university told you to go to church one day? Or are you here because you need a Savior? I mean, I think it's a legitimate question that we need to ask ourselves regularly. Why are we here? Why are we nibbling around the edges of this Jesus guy? What are we trying to accomplish in our life? Are you looking for answers? Are you looking for thoughts? Are you looking for some place to belong or some community? Can I tell you, a community is wonderful, but absent of the presence of God, a community is just a bunch of people waiting to have a conflict. I mean, if you've been in any small groups, you know that that's true. <laughs> There's this saying, you know, if two or three are gathered in his presence, Jesus is in the midst of the people. So is conflict. And, you know, haven't you noticed that uh, the last couple of years, I don't know if you noticed or not, we went through a pandemic and there's some stuff that happened. Did anybody notice that? 
You just live your life. Okay, we got to stop making pandemic jokes. But have you noticed that a whole lot of people decided they didn't really need Jesus anymore? Because when he looked at them and said, what do you want? They probably looked back and said, I don't know. I got a good job, got a nice house, got a great family. I don't really need you. And it's sad to me that so many people don't know what they want from Jesus. So let me ask you a different question. When you first came to him, when you first met him, what did you want from him? I can tell you what I wanted. When I, you know, I got saved when I was a little kid, but I really got saved when I was 20. I mean, like snot and tears and you ever heard that, that thought, like people run to the altar? Well, that Sunday night, I ran to the altar. And I look back on that day and said, that's the day I got saved and really gave my heart to God. Why did I do it? What was I after from the Lord? What did I want from him? What do you want from him? The disciples respond in a really kind of weird, interesting way. They say this. He says, what do you want? And they say, teacher, where are you staying? It's like, hey, what hotel are you at? <laughs> what a weird question. What a weird thing to ask of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where are you staying? What they're really asking him is not what hotel he's at or what barn he's sleeping in that night. What they're really asking him is this, what are you all about? What's really important to you, Jesus? What's really, you know what they were trying to do? They're trying to decide if they should hitch their wagon to this guy or if they should go back to John. Does this guy have better things to say than John does? I mean, isn't it just like Americans to think like that? Let's check out what Christianity might have to offer me. Let's, oh, that didn't work out. That wasn't interesting. Let's go over here and see what Hinduism has to offer. Or let's go see what Islam has or whatever. Or the Enlightenment. Right? Because when we really dig into Jesus, and I'm just going to be honest with you, when we really dig into Jesus, dig into the things that make him tick and dig into the things that are close to his heart. So one of my friends... Uh, it made me sad, but one of my friends posted on Facebook this week, we, we need to get back to loving what God loves and hating what God hates. And the heat he took from Christians just astounded me. Why? Because when we, when we cozy up to Jesus, in that, you know, Jesus is the only religious leader in all of history who did his very best to run everybody off. Right? He's the, he's the only one who said, hey, if anyone would come after me, you're actually going to have to die. Like, uh, this isn't going to be what you thought it was going to be. And I think when we cozy up to Jesus, we like it. And the American church has made Jesus so palatable that when we get close to him and we find out that like suffering's the normal way of a disciple and this whole thing about faith and trust is really, really hard and we have to lay down all of our other cultures because kingdom culture 
doesn't do American culture. Oh, and we probably have to lay down our politics. Oh, that's like a knife to the, to the heart, right? And we have to give up our pet peeves and our needs to matter and our, our, we got to say what we think and all, you know, all these things. We got to let all those things die because the only voice we want people to hear is the voice of Jesus. And when the voice of Jesus gets covered up by all these other things, and, we, and then people think Jesus is about those things and not about the kingdom and not about transformation and not about righteousness and not about holiness, he's about whatever. Now we have an adulterated gospel. So the disciples were like, what are you all about, man? What kinds of things are you going to teach? What can, can we trust that we follow you? It can follow you. I think everybody who comes to Jesus is looking for something. They're those who are seeking security. They're looking for peace. They're looking, uh, you know, for some, some people looking for God to help them move their life forward in some career or some, uh, some relationship or some other thing. I, I mean, when I was a youth pastor, and Pastor Mark knows, there are times that boys show up because the girl is in the group. And it's not Jesus we're interested in. But we'll cozy up to him a little bit if that'll help us with the, with the girl. Right? Yeah. If Jesus were to tap you on the shoulder this morning and ask you, what do you want from me? What would your answer be? I'm not talking about a vending machine God where you're saying to God, I want a better job and I want more money or in my case, I want you to, I told him this morning, I was in here praying and I said, God, you can just create a house and put it on some land <laughs> and give it to me, you know? Like he, he can do that, right? Is that really what I want from him? That's not what I want from him. I want him to transform me. I want him to create me anew in the image of Jesus, right? So if Jesus were to walk into your living room today, this afternoon while you're taking a nap and ask you what you want from him, what would your answer be? Jesus replies in verse 39 and he says, come on guys, and I'll show you. Can I just, can I just help you notice? He didn't preach him a sermon. He didn't give them the best three-point analogy of what he was going to preach to the world. He said to him this, come on, just come with me and I'll show you. Man, I think that the church would do better in America today if we stopped trying to scream at the world what they need to be and what they shouldn't do and blah, 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 and just say, hey, you want to find out what Jesus is all about? Come on with me and we'll find out together. And I think that could be powerful. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity to show up with some other people who are pursuing the same things as of God and do it together and find him together. But it's also, so God's a corporate God, but he's also an individual God. And can I tell you, the greatest way for you to find out what Jesus is all about is to spend time with him every day. I think you've called it abiding. I call it devotions, just in my vernacular. I'll have to change it. But what if 
Tomorrow morning, you know, you didn't punch the clock today on Sunday and be like, all right, guys, see you next Sunday. It's Easter. Woo! What if tomorrow you said, you know, you're the same God on Monday that you are on Sunday? So why don't I read about you and pray and seek you a little bit and see what you have to say to me today? What if you spend a little time? And here's, so I'm going to give you, if you got notes, I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you six things you can do in your devotional life. And I'm going to do it quick. Don't, you're like, oh, Lord, he just started six things. No. Very quickly here. Six things you can do in your devotional life. You can read scripture. I don't even care what scripture you read. Like take your Bible, plop it down and read. Don't really do that. Like find a plan. But if you've never read scripture before, read it. And don't get into the idea that it's got to be a certain amount of time or a certain number of chapters or a certain whatever. And just meet God. Read your scripture. You can worship. Did you know that? You can put on some some now like, man, I can't sing. That's all right. It's all a joyful noise to him. So somewhere between your voice and it getting to heaven, it changes into beautiful. And some of you are like, thank God for that one. You can worship. You can put on whatever your favorite stuff is. Put on some Maverick City. Put on some Hillsong. Whatever is your, your go-to, man. Sing a song in your car while you drive and actually worship. Don't just sing, but worship the Lord. And I want to say this to us as a body, and I, we did great today, but I want to say us as a body, we're going to learn how to worship God without a song. We're going to learn how to worship God from our inmost being, right? And some of you already know how to do that, but we're going to be a place where that's normal. Worship. What if you prayed a little bit, not just petitional prayer, oh, God, help me with X, Y, and Z, but what about if you just said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and show me how to live in your kingdom? Tell me what it looks like for me to fulfill the call that God has on my life. Show me what that is. And praying in that way, uh, you should probably at some point do some supplemental reading. Like if you really stink at being a dad, get a book on being a dad and learn how to be a dad. A biblical dad. I just made that one up. If your marriage is struggling... Get a great book on marriage and figure out how to be a good husband or, or wife. Stop trying to tell your husband or wife what they should do better and start fixing you. Right? Marriage, free marriage advice. I'm awesome at that one. I'm just saying, find something. If you don't know what to, find a great devotional book. Use the Day by Day by Scazzaro. Use a, there's a new one I found. I can't remember what it's called, so I won't tell you about it. But use that one. My, it's a great one. I'll bring it next week. Uh, you know, get my utmost for his highest. That's one of the oldest ones out there. If you feel like God's called you into ministry or called you to serve in some greater capacity than you're serving right now, read Jesus on Leadership. That's a real book. You know, read something that just enhances what God is doing. In, so when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to download something into your heart that he wants you to start living and doing in the kingdom, and you can find her. I promise you there's a resource out there for you that will help you. Supplemental reading. Another one. Uh, silence. I don't want to say meditating because people get wigged out when I say meditating, but silence, sitting quietly before the Lord and closing your mouth. How many of you have trouble closing your mouth? Just be honest. We can do an experiment to find out because here's what will happen. I'll say, we're going to be silent for two minutes. You introverts will be like, thank you, Jesus, Finally. I can finally worship God. People like me, after about 10 seconds, start doing, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within. You know, I can't shut up. So that's how you know. You, if you sit down, you do, you do a test on yourself. You sit down, set your, your timer on your phone for two minutes, and say, I'm going to be silent for two minutes, and see how long it takes you to start going, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, glory to God. It'll be about 15 seconds. But silence is a powerful, I hate silence. I've learned to appreciate silence. <laughs> Because it's a powerful moment where God can, just like that, change your life. Usually I'm talking too much for him to say anything. And the last one that I'll say to you is this, journaling. It's a powerful thing to journal. I could tell you story after story of how God has used that in my life through the years to show me his, himself, reveal himself to me. But if you'll journal, all I'm saying is this, spend time with God. What if, I'll tell you this, if every one of you, if every one of us, I'll put me in it, if every one of us this week for five days would spend 15 minutes a day doing one of those six things, you don't have to do them all, do three of them, do two of them, whatever, whatever you want to do. If every one of us would do that this week, next Sunday, the roof would blow off this place. Because your spirit will be so in tune and sensitive and raw to the presence of God that I can't even tell you what God might do. I've never seen a church like that. So I challenge you this week. What if we did it this week? What if we did it this week? What if we just did an experiment? Let's just see what God might do next week. And I'll tell you what, if we did that, we're going to have a bunch of guests next week, right, for Easter? We're going to have a bunch of guests next week for Easter. And they walk in that environment Corinthians says, when God moves like that, they will say, God is among you. They'll say this, I don't know what just happened. I don't know what that was, but that was real. I'll take that every day. Amen? Your devotional life, it's how you find out what Jesus is about. So then finally, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, should underline that, the first thing Andrew did was go and find Peter and say, we have found the one. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one who takes away the sin of the world. I love that because he didn't do, he didn't do anything else. He could have stayed with Jesus. He could have listened to his teaching. He could have whatever with Jesus. Instead, he said to himself, the number one thing I've got to do is go find my brother who needs to know Jesus is the Lamb of God and bring him. Look what it says. He brought him to Jesus. He didn't go to Peter and say, Peter, I found the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. Hope you have a great rest of your day. I'll see you next week. He said, Peter, you've got to come. We found the Messiah. Come on, man. Come on. We've got to go and see him. He'll change everything. When was the last time your enthusiasm was like that about bringing someone to Christ? So I want to help you. Next Sunday's Easter. I believe this, and we're going to pray about it in just a moment. Uh, I believe that there are, is someone in your life, like you have a Peter in your life. You have somebody in your life 
who needs to see the Lamb of God, who needs to know the Lamb of God. It's a relative, it's a loved one, it's somebody at work, it's somebody that works for you, whatever. It's somebody you may even have been having conversation with. Can I just say next Sunday is an incredible opportunity and on-ramp for them to meet Jesus, and it's an incredible opportunity for you to be like Andrew and take them by the hand and say, come on, you can't miss this. Not because the service is gonna be amazing, just because Jesus is gonna be in the house. And if he's in the house, who's in your life that needs to meet him? So we're trying to make it easy for you. As you leave today, there's invitation cards. They're like this. You've probably done stuff like this before. These are easy. Take two or three of these. Hand them out. Give them to somebody that God, and I'm gonna, we're going to pray in a moment that God will specifically give you a name, somebody that he wants you to give one of these to. And there's anointing on this. Now, do I think they can get saved in your living room? Absolutely. That's a real word. Do I still think you should bring them to Jesus? Yes, I do. There's so many wonderful things and opportunities for people if they will just come. Statistics still tell us three out of four people would come to church if somebody who loved them would bring them. They'll still come. So who's in your life? Who is God asking you to be Andrew to? To be the one who brings them to Christ. I wanna ask you to close your eyes. Worship team, if you wanna come and bow your head. And I'm gonna pray a prayer, but I want you, while I pray, I want you to ask the Lord on your own. Would you ask him, Lord, who's that person in my life? Who's that person in my life that you have been working on their heart? Other people have put in the seed and watered the seed, but... It's time for them to be brought to you. Who is that person, God? Would you pray that prayer as I pray? Father, I believe there are many, many people who are connected to people in this body, Lord, that love this church and love all the things that this church has, God, but they need somebody to bring them to Jesus. They need someone to stick their neck out there on the line and invite them to come and to share this journey. So Lord, everyone in this room, God, those watching online, would you begin to speak, Holy Spirit, that name or those names to our heart? We don't just want to scatter seed with no intentionality, God. We want to go after the people that are ready to be harvested, ready to be brought into your kingdom, ready, God, for you to transform their life next week, God. I believe Sunday will be a day of transformation. And Lord, you're calling us to be Andrew to people in our lives. So would you speak clearly? Would you listen right now just to the Holy Spirit and ask him to share that with you, that name? Some of you, it comes, it just comes immediately. You know exactly who God has put across your path and in your life. Holy Spirit, speak, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to ask you to stand all over the room if you would. You might be here this morning and you say, you know, that's great. 
but I'm the guy that needs to be brought to Jesus. I'm the guy that's away from God. I'm the guy who doesn't have peace with God. Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to know him. I need to meet this Lamb of God. Maybe you're here this morning and your life is a mess and you know that you need God to transform you. Maybe you're here and you're looking for something you don't even know what you're looking for. He's here to meet you today. Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around for just a moment. If that's you and you'd say, I need to give my heart to the Lord, I need to surrender to him, I need to meet the Savior this morning. If that's you all over the room, would you lift your hand? I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, lift it high. Let me see it. Thank you. Others? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everyone else, I want you to for just this moment, would you mention those names? God has dropped into your heart. Would you mention them before the throne right now? Would you just do that in your own words? God, we just mention those names to you. Those people, God, who desperately need your hand, desperately need somebody to love them like Andrew loved Peter, to bring them to Jesus, to bring them to Jesus. Let's be bringers. Let's be a church of bringers where people come to Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Could we together lift our hands and ask God for a great harvest and a great powerful move of God this Easter and the weeks following? Could you do that with me right now? Father, we ask you to move mightily these people as they come. Lord, that they would come and find you and meet you and know you, and God, that you would do such an incredible work, God. May we be blown away by what you do, not by our attendance, not by our offering, but God, by the people who are transformed. God, the people whose lives will never be the same because next week they meet Jesus because somebody brought them. God, I pray that that would be the case for your kingdom and your glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Pray with me this week about that. Pray with me this week about uh, your devotional life. Get into the devo your devotional life or your abiding time and pray with us about next Sunday that God would do a great and mighty work in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Before we go, we're going to worship one more time. Tori's coming to lead us in worship. When, when the worship team is through, God bless you. I love you. I don't even know you, but I promise I love you. You don't love me yet, but that's okay. I love you. God bless you. Have a great week.